following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. We can turn your Bibles to Romans 8. Several things in the songs uh, certainly fit well with what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to First, took uh, last week off from Romans uh, for Easter, and uh, boy, what a it was a good day here. Full, full house uh, last Sunday, and uh, it was exciting, and I'm thankful to be back in Romans this morning. So we'll be in verses 9 through 13 uh, here in a bit, um, but before uh, we reread the text, you know, one of the unique joys, it might at first be surprising, uh, but one of the unique joys of being a pastor is spending time with godly saints uh, for whom heaven is very near. So this person, of course, is, is approaching death, and his body is wasting away, and he knows that his time on earth is almost over. And, and this person is physically miserable, but there is just a, a hope, a peace, because this godly saint can almost taste the glory of heaven. I mean, heaven feels very near. But for a lot of us, oftentimes heaven feels a long ways away, right? I mean, as in particular, as we endure uh, just the struggles of life in a sin-cursed world. People are irritating. Work is stressful. Finances are tight. The to-do list is endless, and oftentimes it feels a long ways off from glory in heaven. And then you compare your spiritual life to the perfection that heaven requires, and glory oftentimes seems unattainable. And I look at what God demands and what I am, and man, that is, that, that, that's hard to even comprehend. Your sinful passions are strong and shameful at times. You don't love your spouse or your children well. Maybe you deal with overwhelming anxiety, anger, despair. Or or maybe there's just that one sin struggle that just always gets you down. And and so you, you look at where you are, you look at what Christ demands, and it is hard for you to imagine being fully conformed to the image of Christ. Again, heaven feels a long ways away. And if you can relate, Romans 8 is exactly what you need. Because this chapter skillfully describes God's sovereign plan to move us from our present misery and suffering and sin into the glorious inheritance that God has for us in heaven. And Romans 8 assures us that everyone who is truly in Christ will make it to heaven. And it's not because you are so spiritual or because you even said the right magic words at some point in your life. No, we will make it because all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are working together to accomplish their sovereign plan of redemption. And so Romans 8 is filled with with hope, security, and assurance. And that's certainly true in today's text, verses 9 through 13. I want to begin reading in verse 5, uh, just to set up the context. So Romans 8, verse 5 says, For those who are according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this passage very simply describes the Holy Spirit's role in bringing us to glory. And and, and verse 9 begins our passage by describing the importance of the Spirit. Now, I don't know that you remember this, I doubt you do, but we covered verse 9 two weeks ago. And uh, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a new and very different authority from the flesh which rules over the unbeliever. And so we are under a new authority, a new power. We live in a new realm. But but I want to consider verse 9 again today uh, because it it lays a really important foundation for the rest of the passage. Sort of a a transitional verse, you could say, uh, between two sections. So, So in particular, to back up a moment, verses 7 and 8 paint a very dark picture of those who are in the flesh. Before you came to Christ, you were hostile to God. You rebelled against God's will. And Paul says that the unbeliever is incapable of pleasing God. And so it's a pretty dark picture. But but then, verse 9 follows with a strong contrast and, and a word of encouragement. Paul says, however... You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And you could say, assuming that, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So Christian, you are not the same person you used to be. If Christ is in you, if the Spirit is in you, God has changed you and made you something new. So so this verse is a very important verse regarding the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, His indwelling ministry, and all who are genuinely saved. And Paul assumes that the moment you are born again, that the Holy Spirit indwells you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Incredible thought. And the Holy Spirit will permanently indwell every Christian from the moment we trust in Christ until the moment that we are in glory. And we know it's a permanent ministry because Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't say you're not spiritual. He doesn't say you're not doing something wrong. He says if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not His. And so the Spirit's ministry is a permanent ministry. He doesn't come and go. He's always there. 
And there's nothing you can do to get more of him. It's not like sometimes you got 50% spirit, 60% spirit, 80% spirit. You either are indwelt by the Holy Spirit or you are not. And verse 9 says that he brings us under a radically different authority. So first, without the Spirit, every unbeliever is under the authority of the flesh. Now, now as we've said, that the flesh here is not your body or, or even your bodily appetites, so to speak. No, rather, the flesh is the dominion of sin. It's the, the ruling, reigning power of sin that hangs over our sin-cursed world. And it is hostile to God. It is in, and it enslaves every unbeliever. And it is the flesh that creates the rebellion that Paul describes in verses 7 and 8. But God says that when the Holy Spirit enters your life, when He comes to take up residence in you, He drives out the flesh's tyranny. I mean, those two authorities, flesh and spirit, cannot coexist. And so the Holy Spirit's dominion over my life creates a radically different orientation. And so how incredible is it that that a sinner like me is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God who is in me? that's, That's incredible. That He goes with me everywhere I am. He is always there. And it's an incredible gift of God's grace. And as a result, God says that every Christian is in the Spirit. Again, you're not the same person you you once were. And and, and you have a brand new authority and a new power. Now, I recognize you don't always feel that way, right? Sometimes we feel like real losers and we really struggle and we fail. But even though we fail, the indwelling Spirit assures us that God will fulfill every promise and He will bring us to glory. I love the promise of uh, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which say that in Him, speaking of Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed in Him. So, he's talking there about when you got saved. He says, when you got saved, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. So, so, so God says there that the Holy Spirit is His pledge that He will give us our full inheritance. You can think of it as a down payment, so to speak. That, that when you get saved, God gives you the Holy Spirit and He is the down payment or the earnest money that, that guarantees that God will someday finish the process and give you your full inheritance. It is certain based on the Spirit's presence. So every time you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, every time the the Holy Spirit uh, just encourages your heart or strengthens your faith and, and and you experience His ministry, it should serve not just to do that, but also to remind you that the Holy Spirit is in my heart and the fact that I have the Holy Spirit means that someday God is going to give me His full inheritance and I will be with Him in heaven. That's a great gift. And the Spirit's presence also assures me that I can make progress towards holiness. I don't have to be stuck in the mud. So don't listen to Satan's accusations. Always believe 
that holiness and heaven are in reach because you have the indwelling spirit. So, so the Holy Spirit is a game changer. He is massively important. And verses 10 and 11 follow. I skipped something there. Hmm, weird. Well, I'm not sure what happened. Well, we'll get to that. Um, so, the, 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 the verses 10 and 11 follow by detailing the Spirit's impact on my physical life. The Spirit's impact on my physical life. And so, so, so Paul goes on here, and considering how much emphasis uh, this passage places on the indwelling Spirit, it's very interesting uh, that, that Paul then opens verse 10 by saying that if Christ is in you, so, so why, if the whole passage about the Holy Spirit, does he bring Christ into the equation? Well, well, we know that he is not equating the two because verse 11 distinguishes all three members of the Trinity. And, and, verse, and Romans 8 repeatedly teaches that all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are working together for our salvation. So I think it's good to emphasize occasionally. That, that, the, that the three members of the Trinity are not different manifestations of one person. They are three persons in one God. And, and Paul mentions Christ here because the end of the verse says that the righteousness of justification which Christ provided on the cross is the foundation of the Spirit's ministry. So, so in Romans 1-6, through 6, we talked a lot about the fact that we are in Christ when we get saved. And Paul can now say also that in a sense, Christ is in us through the ministry of the Spirit. And this is incredibly good news because without Christ, sin brings death. Sin brings death. So so verse 10 says that if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Now, I want to go ahead and emphasize this is something that that we could easily miss is that we, we might assume here that when he talks about death and life, death and life are very important in verses 10 and 11, we, we might assume that he is thinking of spiritual death and spiritual life. In fact, that might be what we just naturally assume. But verse 11 is clear that Paul is primarily thinking of physical death and physical life, right? Because, because Jesus did not need to be raised from spiritual death. Because Jesus... Never sins, and so he was never spiritually dead. He was raised physically. So verses 10 and 11 are primarily talking about physical death and physical resurrection. So when verse 10 says that the body is dead because of sin, it means that we are dying physically. Now yes, as Christians, we might be, we we are spiritually alive in Christ. But that doesn't change the fact that Adam's sin brought physical death on all of his descendants. Now, getting saved doesn't rescue you from aging, all right? And there's a lot of evidence of that just in this room, right? And all of us. So, so, so getting saved, we're still mortal. Our bodies are still slowing down. And unless Christ returns, we will all die. And death is a terrible reality, isn't it? Now, just last Sunday, we, we looked at the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, and we saw how Mary and Martha and even Jesus grieved over the death of Lazarus. 
and, and all of us probably to, to some degree or another have, have experienced that, that pain of losing someone we love and we know the sorrow that death brings. And, and of course, there's no escaping it. You know, and so death is truly one of the worst effects of the curse. But, but thankfully, death is not the end of the story. Because while our bodies are dying, we have the promise that justification secures eternal life. Justification secures eternal life. So, so verse 10 says that the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, I need to just note here as well that the word for spirit, the Greek word is pneuma, and that word pneuma can mean several things depending on the context, depending on what else is going on around it. And, and here, it could either refer to my human spirit or it could refer to the Holy Spirit. And the only way you know which it is is depending on the context. And so that's why uh, some translations capitalize it because they think it refers to the Holy Spirit. And others leave it lowercase because they think it refers to the human spirit. And, and there's good evidence in the context for both. And, and so on the one hand, um, the, the contrast with the body in verse 10 would indicate that maybe he's talking about the human spirit. But I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit because, because every other usage of this word pneuma in, in Romans 8 refers to the Holy Spirit. So, so I believe that he is talking here about the Holy Spirit and as well... Uh, the word that's translated alive in the NASB specifically means life. So I think the best understanding is Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is, or you could even say the Holy Spirit gives life. All right, but that raises another question. Well, what kind of life does the Holy Spirit give? And again, since verse 11 emphasizes the physical resurrection of Jesus, I think the primary idea is that the Holy Spirit will someday give resurrection life to everyone who is saved. So, so, so yes, right now, our bodies are all dying slowly. We're all getting older. Our bodies may not work as well as they once did. But we don't need to despair. Because someday... The Spirit will give life. He will resurrect us from the dead. And so, Christian, there's a whole lot more to the story than your dying body. The Holy Spirit is life. And that's a wonderful blessing, and it gives us wonderful hope. And considering verse 9, I think that Paul also intends to say that it's not just that I'm going to live someday. I am spiritually alive today as well. And that's the main point, but it's certainly there. That even if my body is dying, I am spiritually alive in Christ. And so eternal life is not just something I get someday after I die. New Testament says very consistently that, that I enjoy it right now. So give thanks, Christian, that you are in the Spirit. You know the Lord. And you get to walk in His grace. That's a wonderful blessing that we have through the Spirit. And why do we enjoy this new life in the Spirit? Well, it's ours, Paul says, because of righteousness. Now, now considering Romans 1-5, through 5, if you're listening, paying attention here, hopefully you know that, that he can't mean that we merit this righteousness, that, that we earn this righteousness. 
Because we can never be righteous enough to earn eternal life. No, this is the righteousness of God that Christ secured through his death and resurrection and that is credited to us that comes to me by faith in the gospel. So so notice the contrast that's going on here in verse 10. And Adam's sin brought death on all humanity. But the righteousness of Christ secures eternal life for everyone who believes on him. And folks, we should be so thankful for that resurrection life. Now, last Sunday, we saw in John 11, verses 25 and 26, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's a great promise. And so, yes, we miss people who have gone to be with the Lord. And and it's easy for us to fear our own deaths. Death's a scary thing. But we don't have to despair because the Spirit is life. And if you are justified in Christ, you know where you will be someday. So, 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 folks, heaven is not just a distant dream. It is a reality that is secure for all who are in Christ. And then verse 11 expands on this thought and assures us that the Spirit will resurrect our bodies. The Spirit will resurrect our bodies. So, so verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now again, it's noteworthy that all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in this verse. So so Him and He, in verse 11, have to refer to God the Father. Otherwise, the verse doesn't make any sense at all. So so the idea is, is that the Spirit of the Father, or, or how we say it theologically, is the Spirit who proceeds from the Father, So the Spirit of the Father who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And then, Paul assures us that God the Father raised Christ Jesus and He will also raise you through His Spirit. And so that fits the pattern that we see everywhere in the New Testament about how the Trinity works together for us. That God the Father planned from eternity past what God would do. He, he made His plan. He, he set His decree. And then He sent Jesus into the world and Christ executed the plan and He secured for us our salvation. And the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. He applies all the works of the Gospel to us. He places us in Christ. And someday, the Holy Spirit will raise every believer from the dead as well. And so the entire Godhead is working together for our salvation. You don't just have Jesus, you have all three. It's incredible. And and verse 11 is especially concerned to assure us that this means we can be confident in our future resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ guarantees our resurrection. And so I love how Acts 2 verse 24 says it. It says, God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
You know, death really tried to hold Jesus. But it was impossible for death to hold Jesus in the grave. God overwhelmingly conquered death in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's worth noting that when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus didn't just come back to life. You know, again, think about our sermon last week. It's kind of cool how the two passages fit together. Have you ever wondered why Lazarus came out of the grave bound in his grave clothes and Jesus' grave clothes were left neatly in the grave? Well, the answer is, the reason is, is that when Jesus was raised, Jesus was raised in the glory. He was glorified. He was in his glorified body. And so he did not just emerge from the grave. He emerged better than he was just a few days earlier when he had been uh, arrested by the Jews. He was glorified. And so God did something incredible. And, And Paul assures us that the same God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So folks, Christ is only the first fruits. His resurrection was only the first of many to follow. And so someday, everyone in whom the Spirit dwells will share in His resurrection life. We will live in a totally new state. And folks, that is the great hope of a Christian. You know, despite what Joel Osteen says, your best life is not now. And we should all be so thankful for that. No, our best life is with God in eternity. We will be fully glorified in our bodies and in our souls. We will be untouched by the effects of sin. Every desire will be pure and perfect. And aren't you thankful that this is not all that there is? That our best hope is not in this life. That something far better is coming. And so in light of that, we've got to work hard to to look past the brokenness of this world, the brokenness inside our own souls, and we need to see the great hope that God has given us. So see that hope. Be assured of that hope. And give thanks for what the Spirit has done. And if you don't know that hope, you don't know that you're ready to meet the Lord, you don't know for certain certain that, that when you die, you'll be with Christ, then you need to receive him today. You know, so Christ provided for your salvation on the cross. The Bible says that that he died, and when he died, he bore our sins in his body. He took it out of the way. And and if you believe on Christ, God will forgive you of all your sins. Forgive you of every sin. He will credit to you the righteousness of his son, and you will be saved forever. The Spirit will live inside you, and you will know, you can know that you have a home in heaven. And if you don't know that certainty, you don't know that you're ready to meet the Lord, ready to be with Him for all of eternity, then we would love to talk with you today and and make sure you understand how to be saved and how Christ can be your Savior. And then, and then, so, so, so verses 10 and 11 say that the Spirit has made a dramatic impact on our physical life. This dying body is not all there is. There is a resurrection body coming someday. And then verses 12 and 13 describe the Spirit's impact on my spiritual life. The Spirit's impact on my spiritual life. So so let's read verses 12 and 13 again. It says, So then, brethren, 
We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I like to emphasize often that God's work of salvation is two-pronged. So on the one hand, the moment you believe the gospel and receive Christ, the legal prong is settled. God declares you righteous, you are justified, and that will never change. Your home in heaven is secure because God has declared you righteous. But the practical prong, God's work to form His righteousness, the practical righteousness in us, well, that is a much longer, more difficult process. And that second prong, that God is making us righteous, is the focus of verses 12 and 13. So, so, so someday to be with Christ forever, for me to be glorified, I don't just need to be declared righteous, I need God to make me righteous. And that side is a little bit trickier because I'm involved in the process. Now, I trust God fully. I doubt myself, and for good reason. And you should doubt yourself as well. Because on the one hand, God speaks and I am justified. But on the other hand, I must participate with God in my sanctification. And while I trust God, I'm not so sure about me. So, 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 so that raises a really difficult question. Well, well, if I have to work to be sanctified, if I have to change and grow, then how can I be sure that I will continue and that the process will be completed? Well, Paul answers with a contrast. And he first encourages us with the fact that we are free from fleshly obligations. We are free from fleshly obligations. So verse 12 says, God assures everyone in whom the Spirit dwells. Brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So so we still fight temptation, right? Every Christian, we all struggle with sin. We oftentimes fail. And so we're not what we ought to be. But, 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 but God says that we are no longer obligated to the flesh. The flesh is not your master anymore. And that's significant. Because the assumption here is that the unbeliever is obligated to the flesh. He has no choice but to live a life of sin. He is blind to spiritual truth. He, he cannot live for God's glory. And he is slowly marching towards eternal destruction. But the Spirit frees every Christian from that fleshly obligation. Again, Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. And that promise is very important to our assurance of salvation. Because verse 13 adds, I mean, what's it say? It says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die now now when you look at the contrast that follows there that death is not just physical death because it doesn't make sense it wouldn't make sense for it to be physical death for for them to because we all die regardless so he's talking here about spiritual death he's talking about eternal condemnation so so god here says 
that a life dominated by the flesh, a life in rebellion against God, will end in eternal condemnation. And, and, and that's important because a lot of Christians want to believe that you can be a genuine child of God and, and continue to live in rebellion against God's will. You know, that because you, you call yourself a Christian, because you, you said some words at some point in your life, it doesn't matter what you do from there. But it does matter. I mean, Paul says that if you live under the tyranny of sin and, and you are hardened to the truth of God, you must die. You will endure eternal death. And that's because every genuine Christian must persevere in the truth and produce the fruits of salvation. So Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, pursue peace with all men, and you could say, and pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So if you're not sanctified, if you are not pursuing sanctification, then God says you will not see the Lord. So if your heart is cold towards God and you are knowingly and comfortably living in rebellion against His will, and all those qualifiers are really important there, right? because again, every Christian struggles with sin, we all fail, we all fall short of what we want to be. But, but, but there's a difference between hating my sin but continuing to fail and, and just saying, I don't care what God says. I don't care what His Word teaches. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so be it. That attitude, God says, I mean, God says, if you are living according to the flesh, you are living under the dominion of sin, you must die. So maybe you're a genuine Christian. Maybe you've allowed sin to creep into your life. And you've just kind of been excusing it, putting it aside, and you know, maybe God today through His Spirit wants to use a verse like this to, to, to waken you up to, to the seriousness of rebellion against God. Folks, it is a dangerous thing to say no to what God says in His Word. And, and if you're getting into that pattern, it should scare you and God's Spirit wants to wake you up. Or maybe, you know, you, you just need to be saved. Maybe you need to be born again for the very first time. But regardless, God is saying that rebellion is never a small thing. It is contrary to the nature of a Christian in whom the Spirit dwells. So deal with it. Don't write it off. Make sure that you are walking with Christ. And, and, and if you have questions and you're struggling in sin, then, then let a godly brother or sister come alongside you and help you get where you need to be. So, so And thankfully... That if the, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can, right? You're not under obligation to the flesh. Sin is not your master. And so every Christian, by God's grace and through the strength of the Spirit, can change and we can grow. It might not happen as fast as we want it to. It probably won't. But we can make progress through the power of the Spirit. And that brings us to the positive side of the contrast, which is that we are assured of new life in the Spirit. So, so look at what he says in verse, at the end of verse 13. 
The other contrast is, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, so that brief statement, um, it, it articulates two kind of difficult tensions that are very important to the Christian life. So first of all, I must put sin to death, but I do so in the power of the Spirit. So, so God says, I must put to death the deeds of the body, right? You know, I can't just kind of sit back and wait for God to, to just zap me with holiness. I have to put sin to death. And, um, and, and so, and Paul describes this. He tells us, uh, Colossians 3 verse 5, he says, They're put to death, therefore that which is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Christian, if you have those things in your heart, or of course any other sin that the Holy Spirit might be challenging you with, you need to put it to death. Don't give it a place in your life. Fight it. Resist it. Don't ignore it. Don't excuse it. Put it to death. And yet at the same time, don't just grit your teeth and try and do it. Right? Remember that you fight in the strength of the Spirit. Because what's he say? He says, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, now what does that mean? I mean, how is it in real life that I can fight sin, put sin to death, but somehow I do it by the Spirit? Well, well, obviously, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. And He has a plan, and He is always accomplishing His plan to, to change me and to mold me, whether I am cognizant of it or not. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is always at work in you, to accomplish what he desires. But, but, but at the same time, Paul clearly implies that, that somehow I can access the power of the Spirit, I can depend on the Spirit in a way that, that equips me and enables me to better do battle against sin. So how do I do that? Well, well a lot of people want to make that a very mystical and man-centered thing. So you know, you'll, you'll see people that, you know, I mean, they want to, you know, they want the Spirit to fill them and, and they, they, they think that means that they've got to work themselves up into some kind of emotional frenzy and, 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 they're, you know, and they feel the Spirit and it's this powerful experience. You know, or other times, it, it really becomes about you know, some sort of like you know, spiritual energy that I have to work up and, and I, 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 you know, I work myself into this place where I don't want sin and sin is completely free and I, I get rid of it all and then the Spirit comes in and and people have all sorts of weird and strange and, and I think ultimately defeating ideas about what it means to, to walk in the Spirit and depend on His power. And instead, we ought to think about this when we think about by the Spirit putting to, the, putting to death the deeds of the body. It's living the normal Christian life in the power and the strength and in awareness of the Spirit's presence in my life. So I read the Bible. I listen to God in His Word. I pray. I approach the throne of grace. I I worship with God's people in His presence. And I strive to obey His will. And I don't do those things merely to check them off the list because that's what good Christians do. 
No, I do those things believing that God's grace comes to me as I honor His will. And as I live in the presence of His blessings, the grace that He's given in these normal outlets. And so as you do those things, as you are just living the normal Christian life with an awareness of the Spirit and and seeking God's grace and help in His Word and, and in prayer, then what God is saying is that God's grace, the Spirit's power, will come to you. And God will move. God will convict you of sin. He will encourage you. He will inspire faith in you. And He will give give you understanding of His Word. And and God will change you. So so, so don't ever think that it's just about you. Maybe you're sitting there, you're thinking about putting to death the deeds of the body, and maybe there's something on that list in that verse that you're like, i got to take care of that one. And you do need to take care of that one. But don't ever think it's just about me and my sin. You need grace. You need God's help. And so live in the Word, pray, fellowship with God's people, and by the grace of God, obey His will. And God will do a mighty work in you. It's never just about you. You are not under law, you are under grace. So consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Put it to death. And then the second tension in this passage is that I must change, but God's sovereign work assures me that I will. Now, I've already talked about this to some uh, some extent, but but notice that verse 13 includes both a, a genuine contingency and strong assurance. So first, he says in verse 13, that if I don't put sin to death, I will die. And that's a sober warning that that should hit home to anyone who is living in rebellion against God without any effort to change. But what about the Christian who wants to please the Lord? What about the Christian who has this sin struggle that they just can't seem to get past? Or the Christian that you're just consistently disappointed with with how far you fall short? Or you're, you're discontent with the prog- you, you want to grow. And you wish it would just happen. And it's not happening as fast as you want. Does God want you to doubt? Does God want you to despair? Well, well God already said in verse 9 that, that you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If the Spirit dwells in you. And, and so you have strength to change. And so, if I have the Spirit, and if God's Spirit is at work in me and He indwells me, then I shouldn't read verse 13 as a threat. That's really important. Now, the verse 13 is not intended to come across as a threat to someone who has the Holy Spirit in their hearts and is striving to live for God. No, instead, verse 13, 13b should come across to us as a hopeful promise. I mean, that's really the spirit of it. That if the spirit dwells in me and I am in the spirit, that then, then the spirit is going to help me to put the death, the deeds of the body. And then what's going to happen? I will live. 
I will live with God for all of eternity. So God is assuring the Christian here that by the strength of the Spirit, you will grow, God will finish the process, and someday you will be fully conformed to the image of Christ and you will be glorified. And you will enjoy perfect fellowship with Christ for all of eternity in perfect bliss with Him. So Christians, we have great hope and great assurance because we have the Holy Spirit. So, so yes, sometimes heaven feels a long ways away. But the presence and the ministry of the Spirit is God's pledge to you that it is not that far off. The Holy Spirit will keep me and He will keep changing me until the day that I die or Christ returns. And then the Spirit will give perfect life both physically and spiritually to my mortal body. And He will finish what He began. So folks, the Spirit offers great hope. And so when holiness and heaven seem a long ways off, hope in the Spirit's power to finish the process. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You have given us Your Holy Spirit. Thank You that we that He lives inside of us. Thank You for the promise that we have that He will work and change us. And so God, help us every day to rely on Him. Help us to trust in Him. And God, I pray that, that Your Spirit would work to mold us into the image of the Savior. And God, I pray uh, that even right now your spirit would search us and know us, that, that he would identify any wicked way in us, and that he would lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, work to change us. And I pray for any who are here who do not know Christ, that Lord, your spirit would give new life, that he would open their eyes to the glory of the gospel, and that they would be born again. And so thank you for your work. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that the Spirit is with us at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.